You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to Dear Culture. This is part two of uh, my retelling or my discussing an article that I wrote titled How Trump Ruined My Relationship with My White Mother and the impact it had on my life, on my family, on my relationship with my mother. In the first episode, I kind of recounted how we got to me writing the article in the first place, you know, how, what led up to it, kind of with some little bits of history, like our own personal history, but leading up directly to what led to it, because it was very specific instances that were emblematic of a much larger uh, issue that she and I had that led to me writing it in the first place. What I haven't done in almost any capacity, save for one French outlet, surprisingly enough, there's one French outlet. I haven't really talked about what happened post the article with people. Now, I've done it individually with people who I've known personally, uh, when people have reached out to me. Um, you know, a lot of people... When I wrote that article in the first place, a lot of people reached out to me individually to tell me that, you know, they were praying for me, that they were sorry that we were going through that. Um, They wished the best for us. They hoped that my mother and I were able to get to a place that allowed us both to have like an understanding and an ability to see one another. Uh, But largely that my mother would be able to see me for who I am and allow, you know, not not let her own personal political stuff to overshadow her kids, right? The way she's looking at her kids and the kind of way that she's interacting with her kids. Like I always said, you know, it's crazy that that's how I know how my mother doesn't read anything that I write because if she read any of it, she would understand why the Trump thing was so painful for us. Like it was such a thing that impacted us so negatively. Like, if you read, if you needed any questions answered, my website at the time, Very Smart Brothers, was answering all those. If you wanted to understand why, what Black Lives Matter stood for, if you wanted to understand how we felt about Mike Brown or all of these instances, all these unnecessary killings of, of Black people at the hands of the police, like how we felt about this as opposed to this very myopic view that she seemed to have, you know, where it's like all you had to do was read, but she didn't. Right. She was very proud of who I am and what I was able to accomplish. I just don't think she had any idea what it was. So. After I write this article, I decide I'm pretty much like I can't I don't I just I told my wife she was my wife at the time, but that plays prominently into this story, actually, that I just I don't have anything to say to her. I can't talk to her anymore. Like I just I need a break. So I just didn't. I didn't. My mom called me several times. I didn't answer. I didn't return the phone calls. She called my my little sister and was like, yo, what's going on? Like, Dwayne's not answering the calls. Like, what's up? Like, what's what's going on? And my sister was just like, I think you just got to wait and give him some time. Like, he's really he's really hurt by what happened when you were in D.C. visiting. And my mom was like, hurt about what? Like, she just didn't understand. She didn't under She couldn't comprehend why I would be so hurt about what happened. And. 
it probably took about three or so weeks. I don't think I talked to her until probably this. I wrote the article in August. I probably didn't talk to her until maybe October. Uh, one day she called. I answered the phone. We talked. She apologized. I told her what hurt me. She's like, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm sorry if I offended you. It wasn't really that, you know, I wasn't trying to hurt your feelings or nothing like that. You know, I just, it just, you know, I didn't realize it was that big of a deal. And we got off the phone and I walked into my house. I was on the phone in my car and I walked upstairs in my room and I cried for like 30 minutes straight. Like I was bawling like a baby. Like I had so much pent up hurt and emotion and pain like i i was so mad like i was shaking like i i was just like i can't believe she just doesn't get it at all she literally doesn't understand even a little bit what i'm what i'm getting at and at that point i was like i just don't have anything else to say like i'm just not i'm not i just don't have anything so i you know we might have talked very briefly one one or more times after that but it was there was not a lot of there was not a lot of conversation happening right Early December, though, uh, oh, it's very important for me to tell you this. I had not told my mother about this article, by the way. I still hadn't told her, okay? I'm going to have to repeat that a couple times until it becomes very important because it just, when that when 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 it hits the fan with that one, it hits the fan. Um, but I still hadn't told her. In December, I want to say early December 2017, my first cousin, one of my cousins, passes away in Texas. Uh, she uh, overdosed on opioids and she passed away. So even after having written this article, even after having gotten all this news attention and press and all this stuff, and mind you, I have to be completely honest about this. I was asked to do a ton of press behind this. Uh, and I said no almost every single time because they were all going to have to talk to my mom about it, right? Because journalistically, you got to go to the other part I'm writing about my mother. They were going to have to talk to her too. And I was like, I don't want my mother to get on TV and say anything crazy. I don't want that to be the case. Like, I don't want to validate this other stuff. I mean, it's still my mom. Like, I understand that. I'm not really rocking with her right now, but it's still my mama. Like, I can feel this way. The rest of y'all don't have the right to feel this way about my mother, right? So my sister and I go to Michigan. We stay with my mom. You know, this is probably the most we've talked since, since she'd left in August, um, you know, we had a good time and I was, my plan was to tell her that I'd written this article while we were there so I could sit down and read it with her. Um, and I just didn't, I, I just did not, I couldn't. And I went home and I felt guilty about that, but I'm thinking this is all just going to blow over, right? Whole thing is going to blow over. My mother's birthday is in February. The first week of February, my sister and I decide to buy her an iPad for her birthday. So this is 2018 at this point. I decided to buy her an iPad, um, you know, so she can keep up to date with all of her, all of her news and all of her stuff um, constantly. Buy her an iPad. She sets up a Facebook account. Facebook does that thing they do where they suggest people that you should follow. One of the people that they suggested that she follows was my older sister. My oldest, the last thing my older sister had posted was the article. 
my sister, uh, my mom, adds my sister, checks out her page, and sees this article. I get a text message from my mom. She is livid. You coward this. You're such a coward. I can't believe my son is a coward. Like, she's going ham on me, right? She's going in. I'm like, what in the world is she talking about? And then it dawns on me, she finally saw the article. Talked to my sister. My sister confirms for me that, yes, she did, how she found it, how she came to see it. Um, This is where things go from one-sidedly me struggling with my mom to it being a full-out war between the two of us, right? And it wasn't the article wasn't so much the hard part for her though it it was and especially the part where I'm basically suggesting that maybe she's not going to have a relationship with her grandchildren right what happens is my mom reads all the comments and like people do when you read comments that are negative towards you those are the ones you fixate on there could be a thousand comments that are positive but there's one negative one people fixate on those it's a lesson that all of us who live in this world have to learn early on like you can't focus on negative comments it's they're way less than the positive ones most of the time. But she reads all of them. I mean, thousands of comments on Facebook, on each person's post, on the on the actual piece that I wrote. I mean, she reads all of it. And she gets madder and madder every time somebody says something like, I can't believe this woman would do this to her son. Even though there were tons of people who were like, I can't believe a son would do this to his mother, right? People were coming after me left and right. She is nonstop texting me, mind you. I'm not responding to any of this, but she's nonstop texting me. I can't believe you. You're such a coward. I can't believe I can't believe you would say such nasty things. I can't believe you would do such a thing. I can't believe The Root would publish things like that. I can't believe you people would do stuff like that. Like she's going off. She's hopping in the comment section and responding to people. Like emotionally, my mother would get very emotional. You could, you could very trip her into an emotional response to things very easily. This was like the worst case scenario. It was like a powder keg of la- emotional landmines for her to read because one, it was about her. Two, it was about me and her. Three, I'm talking about the relationship that we have and her possibly not having one anymore. And then she's reading this and it's like, I just put all her business. She disagreed with all the stuff that was in there. She's, she basically called me a liar. She went on Facebook many times and called me a liar, um, said I was making all this stuff up that none of it happened. Um, you know, her son, you know, she's like, her son is alive. She threatened to sue me. She definitely threatened legal action multiple times, uh, threatened legal action against the root, you know, for, for publishing these lies and allowing these lies to, to like sit on the site. Um, she was hot. She was mad and I can't blame her. Right. Like I didn't tell her number one, it's like she got blindsided by something that not only hurt her feelings, but painted her in the light that she didn't want to be painted in. And then I'm pulling back the relationship and then everybody else is weighing in on it. Some people calling her a racist and all this other stuff. So when we, when she and I did get on the phone, we got, we had huge brawls and arguments about this. I mean, it was like full out arguments where, I mean, she would just go on for like 10 minutes yelling at me. Um, Sometimes I would just hang up the phone like I'm not doing this. And I, I felt like I had to let her get some of that stuff off her chest because it had to go somewhere. But it wasn't good. Like, I pretty much decided I'm just not talking to her no more. Like, I'm just I'm out on these conversations like I'm done. Like, I'm just not doing it. Like. This relationship has gone as far as it's going to go. 
And that sucks for you because I have the children over here, the grandkids, but I can't do this, right? Like I can't, you know, I apologize to, I apologize to her for not telling her, but I stood by everything that I wrote in that article, right? I was like, and I'm not going to do this over and over. I'm not about to apologize to you every single time, blah, blah, blah. Like we would get into these really big arguments about it until I just like cut it off. I'm not doing this anymore. That was in like March, March, April, May-ish was when a lot of that was happening. In December of the prior year, on December 26th, I proposed to my girlfriend and my wife. And so we had a wedding to plan. Well, she said yes. So we had a wedding to plan. Probably towards the, towards the end of May, I remember talking to my mother a couple of times. And you know, I, I called her because I'm like, yo, are you coming to the wedding? And she was like, I don't think so. I won't feel safe. I don't feel safe coming to D.C. I won't feel safe in a room at your wedding. I won't feel safe there. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Feel safe around a bunch of people that are here literally to celebrate love. Well, all these people are going to be looking at me because of this article. They're all going to be paying attention. I'm like, Ma, they're not going to care. This is a wedding. This is a wedding for for this is my wedding with my wife. They're going to be focused on us. They're not going to care about this article. But she ultimately decided uh, not to come for her safety. She did not feel safe at my wedding, is what she said. And the decision that she made, and I know she regretted. Um, she would never say it to me, but I know she regretted not being there because, you know, there was no, I didn't get to dance with her at the wedding. Like she would have. That's what I, you know, I told her, like, I want, I, she asked me, should I come? I was like, you should absolutely be there. You are my mother. It is my wedding. You should absolutely be there. You will sit at the table with my family, with all the family, with, with my, my sisters and everybody that you know, and my father and, you know, my stepmother and my sisters and my, you know, you will sit, you will be fine. Nobody's going to be thinking about this. And if you don't come, you are going to miss out on some of those great moments that people talk about, like a mother-son dance and stuff like that. You're going to miss out on that. I think you should come. I think you should be there at the wedding. She decided not to come. Ultimately, she didn't come. Um, I had a lot of anxiety about that. Like I was genuinely very nervous about whether or not she was going to be there and if she was going to come. Uh, part of me, there was a bit of relief that she didn't. But there was, especially after the fact, a tremendous amount of sadness that she wasn't there, right? Like, it's important for me to also mention this. My mother has a lot of health problems, all right? So in 2016, my mother had a triple bypass surgery. Uh, one of the scariest moments of my life, I was there when she had the surgery. I walk in the room and, you know, they tell you that it's going to take a while for all the, all the wiring to get back right. My mother literally looked at me like I was about to rob her when I walked in this room. It was the it was the scariest feeling I've ever had in my life. Like she had no idea who I was, right? But my mother has from then on, she's had a series of strokes, uh, breathing issues, heart issues. Like my mother was just not in good shape. So I told her straight up, like, listen, I don't know how many moments you have. God willing, you're gonna live to be 80. But I'm only getting married once. 
So if you don't come now, you know, who knows how many more of these moments we're going to have together. She still decided not to come. It broke my heart. It really hurt. Probably was for the best. But, you know, forever, that's going to be one of those moments that is tremendously sad in our family. That's October 2018. Um, fast forward to, I want to say September of 2019. My mother calls me probably in August and says, hey, I want to come visit. And I'm like, huh? She's like, I want to come visit. I want to come see my grandbabies. I want to come, I want to come visit DC. I'm coming to DC. And I remember feeling really anxious about this, like genuinely concerned about what was going to happen. I talked to my wife about it, talked to my sisters, talked to everyone. Like I, I was nervous about my mom coming. But she shows up, and I hadn't seen her since December of 2017, and that was for a funeral. So really, it was like August of 2017 was the last time we'd really seen each other, and that's when everything fell apart. She comes to D.C., we hang out, we have fun, she sees the kids, you know, we joke, we laugh, we joke about not being able to step on political landmines with each other. Like we literally are like joking about not starting a fight again. Right. But she is still very hurt by that article. Like you can tell, like we went out to eat one day and we talked, you know, we just, we, we finally had to talk about the article and how I felt and how she didn't realize how I felt and all that. And she breaks down crying when she's talking about this article, like she hates it. And I think the part that she hates the most is that she thought that I was genuinely willing to withdraw my family from her, right? That her grandchildren, the babies that a, a grandmother is waiting for, right? A mom is waiting for her grandbabies. And I think that was the part that hurt her the most that I might not, I might actually not let her be a grandmother to her grandchildren. We, but we, we, we talked, we cried, we ate, we, we joked, we had fun. You know, my mom was in, again, very bad shape. So we couldn't walk, we can't go a ton of places, you know, like her walking up and down the stairs is difficult. It's concerning to me because I'm starting to get afraid that, you know, this is 2019. So, you know, but I'm starting to get afraid of the future because she's struggling to do simple things like even walk upstairs and um but we had a good visit you know we had a really good visit and we started to kind of get over over things covid hits now i this part is actually probably a little bit funny cuz in a sad way covid hits my mother goes full conspiracy theorist. I have today declared that the coronavirus presents a public health emergency in the United States. Tonight, U.S. airports on high alert, screening passengers for symptoms of a deadly new virus. She is every insane Facebook meme about COVID. I mean, one time she called me and literally I just put the phone on speaker and I mean, from Facebook to Jeff Bezos to you name it, 
it was all there. She didn't believe in, she didn't believe in vaccines. She didn't even think the COVID was a thing. But in these conversations, you know, I'm constantly have I, I learned how just to pull myself out of it and to approach it in a way that we could have a conversation. So I'm I'm re-explaining things like Black Lives Matter to her again and all this stuff. Like all these things are are happening. But everything, we're still walking a little bit on eggshells, right? It's still a little bit of a struggle. And then George Floyd happens. We want to get back to our big story for you this morning. Protesters gathered across the country to demand justice for George Floyd. He's the Houston man killed by a Minneapolis police officer one week ago. George Floyd happens in May of 2020. I probably didn't talk to my mother for months after that. And... I think it was a mutual decision because I don't think she knew how to talk to me. I don't think I knew how to talk to her in that space. It was a powder keg. She did call me for my birthday and said, you know, happy birthday. Just call and say happy birthday. Uh, you know, hope everything is great. Father's Day, same thing. I mean, we probably spoke for less than a minute for months after that happened. But we started to pick up and talk more and more again and just trying to get back to a space where, you know, she had her iPad. She would do that thing where you're talking to her on FaceTime, but you can only see the top of her head. It was quite bananas. But, you know, COVID made it so we couldn't really visit each other. But come October 2021, my mother decides to come visit like she wants to come here she it's been years you know it's been I guess almost two years at that point since she's seen her grandbabies because of COVID and she's like no I need to see them and you ever just like talk to somebody and you hear a different type of urgency in their voice like you hear that maybe like I don't know like the, the need is not like an like it's not it's, it's real. Like, I need to come do these things. Like, I need to come do this. My mother's health had been effectively deteriorating slowly over time. She was having more and more uh, breathing issues, perhaps more strokes, seizures. Of, uh, my mother was just not doing really well. So much so that when she came, even when she came to visit, you know, she came to visit. Her, her plan was to come for like a couple weeks at the end of October. And she didn't end up staying that long. She, I don't even know if she made it a full week. She wanted to stay for two. And she kept saying, I'm going to leave on this day, then this day. Then one day she's like, I'm just going to leave tomorrow. Like she needed to get back home. Like she was concerned about getting back home. Um, that was, I think she left the morning of Halloween, maybe in October of 2021. And that was the last time I saw my mother in person alive because by February, so her birthday is early February, um, called to say happy birthday, but she kept talking about having breathing problems and how she was really struggling to breathe and how she just couldn't, like she couldn't breathe. And, um, 
my sister and I both told her, you need to go to the hospital. You know, you got to go, just go get checked out. You need to basically go get checked out. So eventually she did. I think I talked to her when she was on the way to the hospital, maybe, or right before she was going to leave on February uh, 7th. So she goes to the hospital. And um, the next day, I guess her husband was left the hospital to go. He left the hospital to go get her phone and stuff, which she left at the house. And while he was on the way to get the phone, she had a she had a heart attack and passed. So around nine, I don't know, nine something in the morning, I get a phone call from my little sister. And you ever just like you get a phone call at the wrong time, you know something is wrong. I saw my little sister's face pop up on the phone. I answered the phone and all I hear is her screaming. She's gone. And I dropped my phone and I, I like fell out onto the floor. I just talked to her like two days ago. I had just told her to go to the hospital and my mom was gone. You know, we had gotten back better, so that's great. But now my mom is gone. Like, she's gone. And I didn't, I don't know what you do with that. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, um, I don't know, man. It's a kind of feeling you just don't want to feel. Like, you, you just, anybody who's lost a parent knows this, but losing a mom, like, it's just, I I was not ready for the the hurt that I felt. I told my daughter, she's, you know, she was 12 at the time. Oh, she just turned 13, actually. She just turned 13 at the time. I told her. I called everybody in the family. I called all my friends. I let everybody know. Um, and then I took the loneliest drive to Michigan I'd ever made in my life. I I was so sad. Like, I cried this whole car trip. Like, everything that we had gone through, man, it's still, you know, like, it's just still your mom at the end of the day. And I, um, you know, we get there. We get to, I get to Michigan. We got to go handle all of the funeral arrangements and, and, and all of that. Uh, I gave the eulogy at her, at her service, which... I don't know how I made it through. I definitely was in tears the vast majority of the time. I put together a picture collage thing for her. Um, you know, everybody was interested in understanding, like, did you and your mom get back to being good? Like, did that happen? And the truth is we did. We got back to a great, a great place. Like, <coughs> we got back to mother and son not political adversary or whatever. We got back to to mother and son in a way where, you know, when she, when she was here back in October, like I was excited that she was here. Like we have fun. Like we were, you know, she's very limited in her emotions and things like that. We couldn't do much, but we had, um, we have fun, you know, like it just, it just felt good. My kids were supremely excited that that their Nana was here. 
Um, so, you know, I learned to kind of put a bow on this and just to, to put a bow on this story. Um, I learned some pretty important lessons through this whole situation. One, you know, time is priceless. You know, everybody kept coming up to me like, you never know what's going to happen. I wish I had fixed the situation with such and such before. And I got so tired of hearing that. But it's also right. It's also accurate. Like, you do hope that by the, you do hope that you're good in your heart and mind and spirit with the people that you know and love. So if something does happen that it's okay, like it's not that it's okay, but that, you know, you just, you, you don't have regret. I learned that every story ain't a story worth telling. And that's a very important lesson because it also like, it's the first cousin of every story ain't your story to tell. What happened with me and my mom, like, I wrote the article out of hurt and out of pain and out of anger, but I wrote it and I dropped it and I moved on. Like, it was just that. It was supposed to be just that, but it ended up becoming a much bigger thing. It lived in many more spaces. It was it was more significant than I intended it to be. I didn't anticipate it becoming what it did for my own personal life. Like, again, I, like I said, I've won several awards. I won, I won paid awards. Like I got my first check for an award because of that article. And it got me into documentaries. I was in a documentary about uh, the loving generation. My mother, the woman who birthed me, put on a Make America Great Again t-shirt. with Nicole Hannah-Jones and all kind of famous people, you know, I I did several news shows and things of that nature. I turned down way more than actually were there just because I didn't, I, again, I didn't want to have to bring my mom into all of this. I don't know if I would do it again. I, I really don't know if I would write that article again. Like it clearly needed to get out. It clearly was important enough that lots of people were able to read it and use it for their own life and apply it to their own life. Like it definitely was the kind of thing that it impacted. As a writer, that's what you want. You want to impact. You want to be, you know, you you want to impact. But man, at what cost? You know, one of my favorite statements is, is the juice worth the squeeze, right? And I don't know. I don't know if it was worth it. Like, I just, I just don't know. Me and my mom got back to being in a good space, but that time when we weren't was painful. It was hard. I mean, like my mom's out there and we're just not talking and we're just not in a good space. And it's like, what do you do when like that the person who knew you before you knew you, the person who loved you before you knew anything is not somebody that you can reach out to, but they're right there. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't know if those years of struggle are worth it. She didn't come to my wedding. 
that sucks. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that, that really did happen. That sucks. And it, it hurt and it hurt her and it hurt our family. It hurt, you know, it was just, it was a noticeable absence. And I'm sure she felt that all the way until she passed away. You know, my mom had a lot of insecurities about feeling othered in our family. Like because my sister and I were raised by my stepmother and my father, she felt a lot of times like she was the second fiddle. Like we didn't, you know, she, she was not the, you know, she just, she felt as if we weren't as considerate of her as we were of my, my stepmother, who I'm only calling my stepmother for the sake of the story, but my stepmother, you know, like she basically got turned into a second class mom on that. So, you know, there's a lot of hurt and everything that went into it. A lot of those issues are things that my mom already had. This article just was the gasoline and the match on a lot of that stuff. And it brought a lot of things to light that that had nothing to do with me necessarily. But because I put myself in the middle of it with this, then it turned into more. And I became like it just became like a, a, a war standoff. You know, I what I do know at this point, I can't change the past history, but, you know, like for everybody wondering how we were like, I'm, I miss my mom tremendously. I love her. I loved her. Like I, I, I thought she was going to live forever, man. Like I, you know, I, I guess I, I stupidly did. And you know, that's, that wasn't in the cards, but it, she wasn't supposed to go when she did as far as I know. And I'm glad that we were able to get right beforehand because we did. And she knew I loved her. I know she loved me. And, you know, that's the story of this. I actually, you know, after she passed, I got this necklace made. Uh, this is her thumbprint. Or at least that's what the funeral home tells me. But this is her thumbprint. And I wear this thing with me everywhere. You know, my mother never got to see New York City before she passed. She never, we were supposed to do that. She never got to go to LA. Like there's so much stuff my mom never got a chance to do. And I said to myself, she's coming with me everywhere from here on out like this. I'm always going to have this on. You're never going to see a day without me wearing this because my mom's going to be with me everywhere. You know, I went to New York and I was like, I'm going to go see some things that my mom never got a chance to see that I know she wanted to. And in some way it made me feel as if she's right there. You know, like she literally is there and I'm helping facilitate some of these things. So that's what happened. That's the aftermath of, of that article that I wrote that, you know, it did numbers, but it did a number on me and my family. So, you know, thank you for listening. Uh, if you had any questions about that, because I know some people still did, uh, I hope that those questions were answered for you. I appreciate you for listening. I know this is a, an unorthodox episode of Dear Culture, two episodes of Dear Culture, but you know we're using this as an opportunity to tell stories that uh, you might not otherwise hear. This is very personal. I don't know how much more personal we're going to get, but this was a personal one. I managed to make it through without uh, crying for real. Uh, I had to fight back tears a couple times, but I, you know, just uh, trying to professionally get that across. So, you know, thank you for listening. Dear Culture is an original production of the Grio Black Podcast Network. 
you know, make sure you check out this show and all the other shows on the Griot's app. And uh, it's an amazing app, has lots of great stories. And, and hopefully this can be a wonderful addition to that. You know, I love you, Ma. Your baby boy got you. Your number one son has you forever. Will always be there. Um, you know, forever, forever. You know, I love you. <laughs>